The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. How is your work life going? Business? Home? Social? How about your health? Could you make some changes? Of course you could, but how and where to start? This is Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. In this program, we'll help you identify and make the changes in your life that need to be made. And by doing so, increase your potential for success. And now, here's your host, Hemda Mizrahi. Welcome to Turn the Page. I'm Hemda Mizrahi. Today's episode will support you in your quest to build a better body with the goal of achieving maximum fitness with minimum wear and tear. This objective reflects the fitness approach of my guest, Ari Weller, expert fitness trainer and founder of PhilosoFit, a leading-edge movement training studio in East Hampton, New York. Ari has honed his fitness training methodologies over the past 20 years through his advanced study of a host of fitness disciplines through which he's able to help clients in a wide range of circumstances, from high-performance athletes to those whose movement is impacted by issues related to aging, injuries, or health conditions. He's going to share with us three key principles and underlying techniques that have transformed the way that many of his clients view and practice fitness. Ari joins me virtually from East Hampton, New York. Ari, welcome to the show. Hi, great to be here. You talk about the importance of training smarter rather than harder. How do you apply this principle in your training methodologies? Well, uh, I apply it on a daily basis multiple times with uh, a lot of different people from different segments of our population, from very young to very old. And over the 20 years of being a fitness trainer, um, you know, we all evolve, and and my work has evolved into realizing that um, there's a real art to the way to train the body. Um, and, you know, not all, of the, uh, not all of the things are on the surface. And if we look deeper uh, into the body and to other aspects of our lives, we, we basically find a very intelligent way uh, in which to approach of how to make a person, uh, we'll call it fitter, uh, what, uh, on the outside, which leads to many other physiological benefits uh, on the inside as well. Um, and so there are uh, a lot of different methods um, out there now uh, we know more about the body than we've ever known before in the history of man uh, and women. And, uh, you know, these methodologies are very accessible for, uh, for anybody. Uh, of course, they're very accessible for practitioners like myself um, to learn and to apply and to be able to use them um, with people that are seeking, you know, people like me to help them to, to establish, you know, whether it's uh, just better fitness, better athleticism, less pain, uh, or more just sort of freedom of movement in their life. Uh, I start with clients uh, basically with, with an assessment. Every client starts uh, w- at Philosophy with uh, a health history interview. 
which is the most important aspect, to know where people have been, where they currently are in their lives, and where they hope to go. And so everything as far back as injuries that happen in childhood um, apply now, because based on what may have happened to us in our past, we take on that information. It becomes the, the sort of tablet or the story of our flesh, and it, it, it sort of sinks in in a way, right? We move differently. Um, we act differently with our body because of everything that's ever happened to us. So the most important thing is to find all of that information out first. Um, people fill out a form with us first, and then we, we interview because inevitably people forget half the stuff that happens to them, and they don't write it down. So, of course, we have to pull it out. Um, and it's amazing what people begin to remember when you start to interview them about their past, as I'm sure you know. Are they surprised that you go so in-depth? Yeah, that's the part where we really try to go in-depth and, you know, on a one-on-one talk. Um, you know, it's one aspect of sort of a threefold approach that we take in this assessment. The second piece is, is it's enough talking, and it's just to watch people move. Um, we use uh, two different main um, methods at Philosophit in, in, in which we watch people move. Uh, we use something called, first and foremost, a functional movement screen, which in our industry is also known as an FMS test, um, which is a screen that was uh, created by a very uh, well-regarded physical therapist by the name of Greg Cook. And uh, he was the physical therapist for some of the teams in the National Football League, NFL in America, and then a lot of the teams started to apply this screen to their athletes. And what they began to find is, is that uh, some of these amazing specimens of athletes were great at their game, but actually moved really poorly. Um, and these, uh, these athletes that moved really poorly were also some of the same people who uh, were always out on injured reserve. And when they started to apply this functional movement screen to a lot of the teams, all of a sudden, a lot fewer, the teams that were using it had fewer numbers of players out on injury reserve. And so this happened, started about 15, 16 years ago. It trickled down to everyday athletes um, like me and other people and be able to use it on people. It, it looks at seven basic human movement patterns that we do on a daily basis. And we're able to define uh, by looking at this screen how well people do some of these movements. Um, it's not coached, and people are not supposed to be warmed up when they do it. So we, re- we get a really good look at how people move kind of cold. So that's and one then, thing we do. And then you provide them with guidance. If you see that there are issues with the movement, you teach them, in essence, how to do it properly? Yeah, so, you know, from the functional movement screen, it's, it's like I said, one, another piece of what we do in assessment. It, you know, nothing is perfect, but from the functional movement screen, we can, if, you know, if we choose to immediately be able to uh, apply um, some wisdom and some ideas to somebody based on what we see. So I'll give you an example. Um, one of the things that we test is something called a hurdle step. And there's a particular way to do all of these screens. There's an instruction that we do it. And, um, you know, we, 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 you know, you have to be trained in how to give this screen and that sort of thing. But um, somebody may do this hurdle step, which is basically something where you stand in front of this kit that comes with the screen and you have to step over 
a particular kind of hurdle in a certain type of a way. Um, and, you know, again, we don't coach you. We just sort of say, hey, this is how I want you to do it very basically. Um, and, and then we have them do it. And then, you know, you tell them, I'm not going to repeat, you know, I'm not going to coach you. So here's the instructions and let's see what your body does. Um, and, you know, let's say that somebody does that in a sort of like below average movement uh, pattern. You know, they, they have to like tweak their body in a certain way and bend over and their leg doesn't completely come up as high as they want. So they have to turn weird to get up over the hurdle. And then we know that this person actually chooses jogging or running as one of their exercise uh, methods that they use. And this screen actually looks at a pattern that is basically a single leg stance, um, which is basically what we do every single step we take as human beings is a single leg stance. There's a moment in which your one foot is off the ground and the other foot is on. Um, and uh, obviously that happens many, many times a day. And just imagine how many times a single leg stance happens uh, in a 45-minute run or even a 10-minute run for somebody. And if this pattern is inefficient and they're not able to actually perform this pattern very well just standing still and doing nothing, imagine all of those repetitions that happen running, how many of those are happening inefficiently, and they want to now know why their back hurts. Well, I'll tell you why your back hurts, because this pattern is inefficient. So we then start to make suggestions of how we make this pattern better. Wow, so that's an interesting that you're dealing with a very, very long-term process of a pattern that needs to be improved, right? That's cumulative over time if someone's been doing it that way for years. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the ways that we try to get people to understand this is, and, you know, it seems to be easier for people to understand is if you have a deficiency nutritionally, right? Everyone sort of understands, oh, I'm, I'm deficient in magnesium or I'm deficient in zinc or I'm, I've been a vegetarian for 20 years, and now I find out that I have a deficiency in, in B vitamins. Um, so we have movement deficiencies. You know, when, you know, we are living in a very sedentary society. We sit more than ever before, and we bend over. We look at our phones. We look at the computers. In fact, there's, you know, it's kind of a thing now. People are saying sitting is the new smoking. Um, they can judge uh, how long you're going to live by how much you sit, um, not just, how many cigarettes you smoke a day. And, and so what we want to be able to do is to find out where um, we are deficient in movement and then to bring that back, almost to supplement that, the same way you would supplement that magnesium and that zinc and that, those B vitamins with a supplement. We then, once we find out where you're deficient movement-wise, we supplement that with a particular type of exercise prescription. So you're starting off with, a movement assessment, which includes the functional movement screen where you are observing seven different movements and mm-hmm. you're identifying functional deficiencies. Is there anything else that's involved in the movement assessment? Yeah, the other, uh, the other method that, uh, two other methods that we use within the assessment, um, and one of them is a technique called anatomy in motion, uh, created by uh, a very smart man in England, Gary Ward, and uh, his he has a book called What the Foot, and Gary's work uh, was really groundbreaking for me in that uh, it's all about the mechanics of how your foot is working. Um, many of us, uh, you know, are wearing all kinds of different uh, shoes that are really not the best for us or, you know, based on uh, both genetics and also how we've lived our lives, uh, our feet are actually kind of a mess. 
Um, and so Gary's uh, perspective is that everything comes from the ground up. If your foot is not doing what it should be doing mechanically correct, then you are then affecting everything up the line all the way up to the head and neck. So if your foot and ankle are off, let's just say for basic principles, off a millimeter, you know, kind of like rotated in or maybe you're stuck in pronation in the foot. A lot of people are familiar with pronation as an idea. Um, Then that now is affecting the ankle joint, the knee joint, the hip joint, the low back, the rest of the spine all the way up to the neck. So if somebody has a neck problem, and Gary, in anatomy and motion, you first start by looking at the feet first and seeing how that's affecting everything up the line. So in essence, you can fix somebody's neck from their foot, but you can't fix their foot from their neck. So that's interesting. So part of the functioning then that you look at is the mechanical functioning of the foot. Yeah, we look at the foot, and then what does the foot do? Well, that's just involved in gait pattern, the way that we walk. That is our gait pattern. So we, wa- we watch the way that people move, we assess it, we videotape it, we watch it later in slow motion to see what aspect of both foot mechanics and gait mechanics are off, what is not working. You know, we'll, I know we want to get into it today in our conversation about how the human body only moves in three planes of motion. So where is the body just in simple walking, which is what we do uniquely as bipedaling humans, what is not happening in a simple walking 10, 15 steps across the room and back? And then that's another aspect of that's a deficiency. This body is not moving in rotation. Look at that. It moves stiff. I mean, we've all seen people whose legs are kind of bull-legged and they walk across the room like they're John Wayne. That's mm-hmm. not an efficient movement. You know, there will be problems because of moving that way, especially for 40, 50, 60 plus years. You know, and then somebody wants to know, uh, why they have a neck problem or a low back problem. They think that they went on vacation and it, was a, uh, it wasn't their bed or, you know, it was, a, it was a pillow that they weren't used to. I mean, that may have caused it to finally push it over the edge, but that wasn't the cause. It wasn't the pillow or the weird bed that you're not used to. It's because you've been doing something with your body for so long that that's ultimately what is causing the problem. We have about a th- three minutes before we go to commercial. So you mentioned looking at the movement assessment, those seven movements to the functional movement screen, looking at anatomy and motion, uh, the gait pattern of the foot, and mm-hmm. defining the functional deficiencies, how do you use the results of that assessment with your clients? Well, there, there's one other thing I want to touch on, which is a technique called neurokinetic therapy. After we look at the way people move, we want to make sure, we want to follow our work up and we put them on like a massage table or a stretch table and we do some manual muscle testing because I'll go back to that hurdle step test. I may have all kinds of ideas about what I thought I saw in the movement test, which is why I don't think any particular screen is the best by itself. I'm kind of backing myself up by doing different methods in this assessment. Um, and the last thing we do is this manual muscle testing on the table because I may have come to the assumption that somebody's internal core that makes the hip flex, that raises the knee up, up over that hurdle, I may have come to the assumption that the psoas muscle uh, particularly uh, may be weak. So I can then take the person uh, to the table and do some manual muscle testing and try to follow up my work and see if that actually happens. And that's really the last piece of the assessment. And then what we do is, is that we take all this information uh, and we, 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 we analyze it, uh, I like to draw a picture of the human body. Uh, I have a big 
sheet that I use and I write all the injuries. And, and when you start to map out a person's body and you look at all of the things that happened to them, the broken bone here, the torn meniscus here, the surgery there, and, and then you put it together with a functional movement screen, you get this idea of where this person is at, and then you can start to put together, okay, I can see now. I can see what this person, I think this person needs, and this is what we're going to start with. And I know we're going to talk about our programming process. And, and, and we program based on basically four pillars, which, uh, you know, we start to look at the strength and functional strength of this person, the mobility of this person, the heart rate variability of this person, and, you know, ultimately, how do we bring this person to a place of rest and restoration? Wonderful. So we heard about this amazing in-depth assessment process that you go through with the functional movement screen, with the anatomy of motion, and the neurokinetic therapy, which leads to a definition of functional deficiencies, and then using those assessment results to program the workout along the four pillars, strength, mobility, heart rate, variability, and rest. We're going to go to a brief commercial. When we return, Ari will discuss a second philosophy that's central to his fitness approach. Stay with us. Are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change? If conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life, now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy. Creating a transition plan enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com. Are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change? If conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life, now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy. Creating a transition plan enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy. With co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass, Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You are listening to Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. Got a question or comment for the show today? Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to hosthemda at gmail.com. Now, back to Turn the Page. We're back. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, joined virtually by fitness training expert Ari Weller, founder of PhilosoFit, a leading-edge movement training studio in East Hampton, New York. Ari talked about the importance of having your movement assessed to identify functional deficiencies as a basis for designing your workouts. This methodology enables you to work smarter rather than harder. 
Our second segment will focus on another of Ari's core philosophies, quality over quantity. Ari, tell us more about this. <laughs> well, I mean, this is all based on, you know, everything that I uh, am doing with people, uh, you know, I've done to myself over, you know, 35 plus years of working out, 20 of, you know, years as a professional uh, and others years as an athlete and just a love person that loved to work out. Uh, in my green stages of working out, it was all about quantity. You know, I couldn't get enough. Um, you know, it was like a drug in a way. And, you know, I just didn't do things as efficiently and as well as I now know that I should have. And I paid the price for it. And I had quite a few injuries, major injuries as a young man, uh, which led me to a different way of thinking and a different philosophy of fitness that I have now. Um, what I have come to believe now is, is that, and know now that, you know, our bodies is, are just like a corporation, right? Uh, for a corporation to be successful, um, everybody has to do their job. So every bone, every muscle, every sinew in our body has a job and a job description. And when everybody is working and doing their job, it is a beautiful thing. It is harmony. It is that beautiful flowing movement that we may see as a dancer or a martial artist or something like that. Um, you know, so if people don't do their job, like, you know, take that corporation idea, you know, so somebody at work doesn't do their job, but the job needs to get done. The work still needs to be performed. So what ends up happening? What ends up happening is, is that other people have to pick up the slack. Um, and those people are usually pretty upset about having to pick up the slack of the lazy person or the person that's just not doing their job. And so they get angry. Uh, they get overworked. Uh, they get, uh, you know, they get really tired, fatigued, and they either may even have a breakdown or may, they may even just quit because of that. And basically, that, in, in my opinion, that's what happens in the body when we have an injury. Uh, however, it's not such a great cue because that's what the body knows. Those shoulders are coming up and getting tense because they are compensating. They are doing the job for something that isn't doing the job. Um, and so what we have to figure out is who's not working, what is not happening, what stabilizes the scapula that actually teaches the shoulders how to drop down. That's quality over quantity, which would just mean push no matter what. You know, just get, use those shoulders, use everything you've got. Um, and so what we want to try to figure out is um, how do we get this, how do we figure out how to get the body to perform as a very successful corporation? So it sounds like you're really getting at the root causes. So it's a real educational experience because I would guess that many people aren't aware sometimes if maybe even though they've had injuries, they still might not be aware that they're not really engaging the different parts of the body to perform a particular function. That's correct, and that's the, that's the idea of working smarter and not harder. You know, another example of this is, you know, I mean, a lot of people in, in our society have very tight hamstrings and very tight calves. You know, all those muscles that go down the back of your leg. Oh, I don't know why. I need to stretch. I just need to stretch, you know. I, and then they stretch, and it still doesn't clear up. They're still tight, or maybe they get loose for a half an hour after you stretch, and then they just go right back. Well, why is that, you know? Because that's actually not the root problem. Those hamstrings and calves and, you know, all, all the way down to the bottom of your feet, an issue like plantar fasciitis, which happens to a lot of people, the, generally what we find is, is that it's the butt 
that's not doing the job. And that's why these muscles are overworking. Um, and what that, you know, think about how much we sit again in our society, how much we sit. When we sit on a muscle, it's like massaging the muscle, right? When you massage a muscle, you relax it. You tell it to kind of go to sleep. So if you think about it, we're kind of, by sitting, you're putting your butt to sleep all the time. And so we kind of have this, uh, if, if, I, if people would understand it, I would make a bumper sticker for philosophy that basically says philosophy where you can get your head in your ass. Mm-hmm. And what, what that means is, is actually the brain needs to reconnect with the muscles in the glutes, in the, in the, you know, the tush, to actually perform its duties so that when you stand up these ham- and start moving, these hamstrings and these, the butts asleep. At this point, now the hamstrings and the calves are doing the work over and over and over and over again. So in that way, it is a very intelligent uh, approach to figure out who's the worker, who's the underworker. Let's change that relationship and bring balance. So you really need to be very mindful and deliberate because in some cases, of course, people have particular conditions like neurologic conditions that might interfere with the communication between the brain and the body parts. And then in other situations, maybe there's an area that's just somehow less strong than the others. So we wind up relying on the others more. So you really have, even if there's not a physical condition, you still need to ensure that you're teaching yourself to re-engage. Right. And to, you know, the honest truth is there's none of us walking this planet right now that doesn't have some sort of exactly what you just said. There is nobody walking around that has a perfectly neurologically balanced body. Um, but we can make changes, and, and things then will change. So if I clear up my glutes to my hamstrings, you know, and as I get older, it may become something else, which is, you know, it's the exciting part of actually being, uh, doing the work that I do uh, and, and that we do at Philosophy is, is that, you know, things are always changing. And, and we're always constantly assessing people. And, you know, there's always something new to deal with, you know, and that makes it really fun. But ultimately it does. I mean, the brain runs the show, right? Everything is run by your nervous system. Uh, you know, if you imagine your nervous system, basically what it looks like if you were to take it out of your body, it looks like kind of an octopus. You know, you have your brain up top, and then you have all these tentacles, which, you know, go all the way down into your body, all the way to the tips of your fingertips and toes, you know. If you were to take that out, it's just this octopus kind of moving around. And what that does, it feeds into the muscles and the rest of the body and tells them what to do. You know, without your nervous system, your, your muscles are just, you know, as dumb as solid rock. How do you go about building strength in an area that you haven't relied on enough? Right, so... This comes back to almost that manual muscle testing idea in neurokinetic therapy, one way of looking at it. So, uh, and I'll try to keep using examples that I've used today. So I was using a muscle on the front of the body that flexes the hip. It's one of the deepest core muscles we have, and it's called the psoas. Um, and for a lot of people, this muscle, which actually connects the upper body to the lower body, is generally very tight. And so people think, oh, I have to stretch it out. It's so tight. I'm going to stretch it. You know, I mean, it must be really working hard. And actually, the truth of the matter is a lot of the times, not always, is that muscle is so tight because it's weak and it's literally holding on for dear life. So the question becomes, okay, so if that psoas is not working, how do I get this, what we would refer to as neural load? How do I get the brain through the nervous system to reconnect with that area? The first thing we have to figure out is 
who has been compensating for that psoas? When you do these movements, when you move into that hurdle step to lift that leg up, what is the, somebody's helping out. Somebody is doing the work of that psoas to some degree. And so the, the, the challenge is to figure out who's, who, is, who is that. And we use mu- manual muscle testing and neurokinetic therapy for that. Um, we may find a lot of times that uh, a low back muscle, uh, you know, and I won't get into specifics of muscles because that could be confusing for people, but a low back muscle may be the compensator for that deep psoas muscle that's not working. And so the process is to get that low back muscle Again, just like the butt was asleep, we want to get that little back muscle to go asleep through a variety of different methods and techniques, and then we want to immediately teach the psoas muscle to fire, to wake up back to the brain again. And then just like a, a language, you know, first we learn how to say hello in a language, and then we learn to, where's the bathroom, and then we learn a lot more than that. We have to continue to teach this psoas muscle in this example how to keep firing, how to keep using it, and that's what we do with exercise. I would think that you get a lot of clues then because if, you're, if there's a back muscle that's working harder than it needs to because the psoas muscle needs to work more, then you might have pain. There are some symptoms generally I would guess that people have that also help with the evaluation process. Yeah, and that's the, that is the best. I mean, that's why the evaluation process is the most important part. I mean, it really is. I mean, everybody out there should just find somebody with skill and get evaluated because otherwise you're just, you know, especially when you're participating in an exercise program, you're just exercising blindly. You could be actually be doing more damage than good in thinking that you're exercising. Um, but we get clues all the time. That's the exciting part. I mean, you kind of feel like a detective a lot of times. And it's amazing how people drop clues for you when you're working with them. I mean, you'll go to muscle test somebody's, you know, leg and the psoas muscle, and all of a sudden, you know, and we're trained to look for this stuff, but all of a sudden you see their eyes roll up into their head as, you know, like, you know, when you go to think about something, you know, like, oh, let me think about that for a second. That kind of idea. You see the eyes roll right up into the head as if the brain is saying, oh, wait a minute, how am I going to do this? And then you know, you know right there that the this muscle's not going to fire, like this isn't going to work at all. And before you ever test it, it's pretty cool. Ari, you talked about strength in three planes of motion. Would you share more about that? Sure. I mean, this is probably, uh, you know, the most important aspect in how we program people uh, for training. So the human body moves in three planes of motion. Um, That's it. Uh, We move basically front to back, which is called the sagittal plane. We move kind of side to side, which is called the frontal plane, and we move in a rotational pattern, which is called the transverse plane. Um, When we walk, ideally, in a gait pattern, we move in all three of those planes all at one time. In traditional fitness, kind of bodybuilding kind of style of fitness, most people are specifically mostly working in the sagittal plane, kind of front to back. Think about like chest press or arm curl or push down with triceps. Um, and, and so what, you know, people are basically just training themselves in one plane of motion. And, you know, not to make fun of anyone or anything like that, but if you imagine some of those bodybuilding types that, are, you know, they walk the same way that they've trained themselves. They walk, you know, very robotic right? Because they're only really moving in one plane and maybe a little bit of the frontal plane, maybe a little bit of the side lifting out to the side, that kind of thing. 
But, you know, most uh, of those types of people haven't trained sort of the transverse plane at all, the sort of rotational bat- uh, plane. You know, the body is constantly moving in spirals when it's healthy and it's been trained to do so. But it also does move front to back and side to side as well. And so when we're training people, we're training them in all three planes of motion. You know, we're not just thinking uh, cosmetically, if you will, uh, just doing the sort of like single plane of motion uh, just so you can sort of look better in the mirror. Um, mm-hmm. When I think about athletes that move in three planes of motion that are absolute beautiful movement, uh, I think about dancers, I think about martial artists, I even think about swimmers. So this is exciting, though, that this is part of the quality over quantity that you're looking at the way that you move in these different planes. And so you're helping people improve both functionally and also aesthetically. People look more elegant, I would guess, while they're performing the different sports moves or dance moves. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's nothing the matter with looking great. I mean, you know, we all have that, that desire. I mean, you know, who doesn't want to have that? You know, I, I just think when it's your only goal or when it's your main goal, it's so very limiting. And at the same time, um, you know, actually you're, you're kind of hurting yourself in that you're not looking at the, the, the bigger picture where you start to move in different ways, and, and that's what really changes the body. Moving in one way is like not only is it boring, but it has the more limited results. Do you find that your clients are able to get into sports that they hadn't gotten into before, that somehow they felt stuck in their form, uh, like with doing a serve in tennis or an overhead in tennis or any kind of move that they're able to actually do something now that they weren't able to do? Oh, yeah. I mean, we do that on a daily basis. And, you know, that's another one of those aspects that brings such joy to the work. Um, that people can start to do stuff that they either felt like they weren't going to be able to do again or they never thought they were going to be able to do at their particular age or something like that. Ari, we have just a couple of minutes before we go to commercial. Is there anything else that you want to add regarding the principle of quality over quantity? Yeah, I mean, the other aspect that we look at, which we didn't really get into so much in terms of fitness, but most people think about with fitness, is kind of cardiovascular work, right? You know, sort of like getting your heart rate up. Um, and we work under principle uh, at Philosophit of training people in something known as heart rate variability. Um, and this is really quality over quantity. You know, a lot of people think, oh, I've got to get my heart rate up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for that long run, or I'm going to get on my elliptical for 40 minutes. Um, and thinking that just putting that time in uh, is actually doing better than if they were to do something for a shorter period of time or something like that. Heart rate variability measures the ability of your physiology um, to deal with stress, which is exercise, right? It's that run. It's that, you know, what, whatever you choose to do. Um, and then your ability to recover from that as quickly as possible. So the greater your heart rate variability, the greater your health. So, uh, you know, I don't care how fast an athlete can go. I want to know how quickly can you turn it off? How quickly can you relax from that intense moment? And that's what we do with heart rate variability. And that can be trained. You can literally train your physiology to deal better with stress and recover from it through uh, heart rate variability interval type training. So instead of that 40-minute on the elliptical, you move towards more of an interval base, uh, which means that it may be, you know, after a warm-up, it may be two minutes really intensely, 
followed by a minute of complete recovery until you're totally recovered, and then there you go again. Two minutes intensity, recovery. Two minutes intensity, recovery. Um, and now that 40 minutes may now turn into 20 minutes. You may have reduced your time and actually gotten the same results, if not even better results, because now you're getting better physiological results than you got before as well. And so that's another way to turn quality, uh, quantity into quality through uh, you know, sort of heart rate training, thinking about heart rate variability. That's really interesting because it seems that that's more of a trend now in fitness to focus on shorter workouts. And I didn't realize all of the detail that goes into defining why you can get more results yeah. if you do shorter workouts. Yeah, and this is the science. You know, this is new science. This is stuff that, you know, we now know that we didn't know before. Um, I mean, it makes perfect sense. I mean, you can go back to sort of like, you know, you know, think about like, you know, sort of primal man. I mean, was not just going out except for, you know, maybe to take a message like they did in the, in the original marathon or something like that. But they don't just go out and run for, you know, 10 miles, 15 miles just for the heck of it. Right? They were, you know, it was all heart rate variability kind of training. It was like, oh my God, I'm being chased by this animal. I got to run and I got to run now. You know? And, 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 you know, so that was the approach that we used to have. It's like, you know, quick bursts of energy. Or, or not only was I being chased by an animal, maybe I actually need to chase an animal to get some food. Um, so that was also heart rate variability. You're not going to chase an animal for 10 miles, it's going to be quick. Fascinating. We're going to go to a quick commercial. When we come back, Ari will share a third fitness philosophy and offer 10 essential principles that will help you to navigate your way to maximum fitness with minimum wear and tear. We'll be back shortly. Are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change? If conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life, now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy. Creating a transition plan enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. Are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change? If conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life, now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy. Creating a transition plan enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com. You are listening to Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. Got a question or comment for the show today? Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. 
or send an email to hosthemda at gmail.com. Now, back to Turn the Page. Welcome back. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, joined virtually by fitness expert Ari Weller, founder of Philosophit, a leading-edge movement training studio in East Hampton, New York. Ari talked about the importance of using the different parts of your body wisely in order to keep your whole body as functional as possible. This final segment will address fitness as a deeper life practice, with restoration being the ultimate goal, as Ari puts it. Ari, what do you mean by fitness as a deeper life practice? <laughs> I mean, I mean, fitness for me has always been, you know, do I participate in other things that one would define as spiritual practice? Absolutely. Um, but I can, all of that happens through my body, right? <laughs> so the easiest, most accessible spiritual practice, if you will, deeper life practice for me always starts with my body. Um, you know, if... If you're a Buddhist practitioner, the first place you go is, is that you've, what's happening? What's happening in my body right now? Um, it's just, I get to not only, I, I've made it my interest and also my work to, to do that for myself and other people. That's where I start. And I try to bring balance into my body. I try to ultimately make harmony uh, with my spirit through my body first. And, uh, and, and, and that's how... That's how I see it as a deeper uh, life practice. Um, you know, one of the things uh, that uh, a lot of people do to bring sort of balance and harmony in their body is they, they think about, they do yoga or flexibility, which are wonderful. Um, and, you know, people should continue to do it. Um, we, we have a different approach with flexibility and bringing harmony into the body at Philosophy. Um, we use a, a method called Kihara, it's K-I hyphen H-A-R-A, and it's a way of stretching the body with an equal amount of resistance against the stretch. Um, so if you imagine the muscles are like rubber bands, right? So if you imagine you stretch a rubber band and you hold that rubber band out as you stretch it, the same way you would almost bend over to touch your toes, Right? Uh, you are making length out of that rubber band. But what ultimately happens to that rubber band is over time, it's got the length, but it actually loses its elasticity. So it's really long now, but now it doesn't have the ability to get short. Um, so ultimately, you can get really injured like that. And we see that all the time from really hypermobile people that are only exclusively sort of focusing on yoga. And so the idea is, and this methodology teaches you to actually use the muscle in a shortening way as you're lengthening it. It's something you can do to yourself. Um, you don't need anybody to do it to you, but it is actually much more efficient and wonderful to have it done to you by a practitioner. And that's uh, something to bring some nice balance and harmony into your practice. And also, if you want to think about making it a, a deeper practice and like that. Ari, I wonder about our restorative potential. If people have injuries that date back many years or particular health conditions, like we were talking about the issue of communication between the brain and the body, there may be some interruption for neurological reasons. What is the restorative potential in situations like that? Well, I mean, I'm very positive about it. Um, I unfortunately had to uh, deal with some neurological Lyme disease in my life. I'm living in a very 
tick-infested area and uh, paid the price for that. I uh, wasn't aware that I had it. It was in my body for a long time. I had neurological damage because of it. Um, I used, uh, you know, sort of your traditional things to get rid of my Lyme disease, so antibiotics and things like that, homeopathy. But uh, I also used exercise um, and to restore my body. That heart rate variability work uh, with my Lyme disease was a huge uh, piece of helping me sort of get myself out of the muck. Uh, knock on wood, you know, I think I'm pretty clear. Um, and so I have, I'm very positive, not only through my own personal experience, but what I do for people and with people on a daily basis and trying to restore function back into their body. I'm very positive about it. Now, there's certain things that, um, you know, we just can't change. You know, uh, you know, something happened in someone's life, an accident, or maybe it's a hip replacement or something like that. And, you know, we're never going to be the same. But we can still work with the body to restore other aspects of it. Um, to make it balanced and to make it work as efficiently as possible for as long as possible in people's lives. So it seems like there's an enormous opportunity for people to experience improvements regardless of their situation. And at the same time, it requires a lot of knowledge, like the knowledge that you've been sharing about the evaluation process in order to really know what to target, how to help people. Yeah, I mean, what's more important than trying to take care of the one body, as far as we know, that you're ever going to have? I mean, you know, I lived in many years, for many years, and trained for many years in New York City. Um, and, you know, winter would come and, you know, uh, people would be investing in this, you know, $2,000 coat, you know, which is going to last one season because it was going to be out of fashion the next season. And then that same person would be like, oh, I'm not spending $2,000 on training. It's like, what, what could be a better investment than to take care of your body, which is never going to go out of fashion? You talked to us about training smarter, not harder, about how you can choose quality over quantity, and also experience fitness as a deeper life practice. And I know that there are 10 basic, what you call essential principles that you use to help people navigate the way. I'm really curious about what those are. Okay. Well, I mean, the first one is, is that you got to move six days a week. Absolutely. It doesn't matter who you are, especially as you get older. You have to do something six days a week. We're too sedentary. We sit too much. These, these six days do not mean six intense days of exercise. They just mean doing something six days a week. That could be like, you know, okay, I'm going to, you know, and a lot of people, it's been these uh, devices they wear on their wrist. They can see they're not getting in those steps every day. Whatever it is, do something six days a week. That's the first one. The second one, which we've talked about already today, get yourself moving in three planes of motion. That's the way we move. That's what we're designed for. That's what we've been engineered for. So figure out within your exercise, I'm doing front to back. I'm doing side to side. I got to get some rotational pattern. How can I do that? The third thing is expect incremental progress, right? We forget about the four-minute abs, and the two weeks to the perfect six-pack, it's BS, you know? You know, this is, not a, this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. We're in this for our, for our entire lives. Be happy with incremental changes and just keep on moving, right? The fourth one is, is that pain and injury will inevitably come. It's going to happen. doesn't matter how smart you are. I screw myself up all the time because I try things or something happens, but I learn from it. 
Use pain and injury as a way to learn and to improve yourself. Um, you can, I've, I, my life, my, my entire career changed because of how bad I hurt myself. I could have chosen two different paths. I chose the one that said, I'm going to learn from this, and I'm going to allow myself to change from it. The fifth thing is never sacrifice the integrity of your posture to what you're doing. You know, we need to be upright into gravity. You know, we need to create balance. You know, we're always going forward, looking at the phones, looking at the computers, whatnot. Figure out how to pull yourself back up naturally. You know, in exercise, don't sacrifice form. Don't sacrifice posture for the exercise itself. It'll come back to get you. Um, the sixth thing is, is that you have to begin to develop, and if you do some of the things I've talked about today, and especially if you get assessed, um, you need to develop your innate wisdom. You know, ultimately what we're trying to do with an assessment is to get people to realize and to show us what it is that's already there. So ultimately all of us already know uh, what, is, what needs to be balanced or improved in our bodies, what needs to change. We just need to tap into that, uh, that, that innate w awareness uh, and, and listen to it. Um, the other thing, uh, the, the seventh thing, is to be mindful and deliberate in what we do. Um, I, I teach exercise, like I said, as a meditation, to pay attention. Get the headphones off. Tap into what's happening. I mean, it's an amazing process. You know, every single moment uh, is an amazing process uh, in our lives, and especially as we exercise. What, a, what an amazing opportunity to be mindful. Um, the eighth thing is, is that... Things are always changing. Uh, there's new methods out there. There's new science out there all the time. We can't get stuck in one particular dogma. There's not one particular exercise technique that has the answers to all of our you know, needs and desires and goals. Nobody owns the market on anything. And so if we're always opening ourselves up and seeking out people that uh, have knowledge, um, th that'll be very helpful. And also the truth is, is that what may be appropriate for you today may be different for you a year from now or two years from now or even six months from now, and you may need something different. And so always be open to that, and don't get locked into, like, I only do this type of yoga. I only do Pilates, etc. cetera. Uh, the ninth thing is, is that um, you've got to take chances. You've got you, you to be careful not to be too careful. You know, uh, we should do things. We should take risks. Sometimes the best success is the one you risk the most to achieve, and we should take risks in our exercise sometimes. And it, it may come back to that injury. But you know what? You'll learn a lot from it, and you'll go from there. Um, and, and injuries, like I said, are, are always going to happen. So don't be afraid to take risks. And the last thing, which, you know, this comes back to the harmony and balance ultimately, is, is that you've, it's got to be playful. I mean, this is exercise and fitness we're talking about. I mean, this is taking ourselves back to the playground that we used to play in as kids. It's all about ultimately having fun. I mean, I love to surf. I stand up paddle. I love to throw Frisbee. I, I walk on slack lines. They're like uh, tight ropes. Um, I play sports with my 10-year-old son all the time. Uh, ultimately, everything that I'm doing, I'm training myself to be able to do that as long as I possibly can on this planet. I want to play. I want to have fun. So along with playing and having fun, which seems to be an important tactic to keep ourselves moving, as you said, six days a week, my understanding is that you need to use different exercises as opposed to if you really enjoy being on the elliptical and watching your favorite shows at a certain time, 
at a certain point, you may not be getting enough benefit from that exercise if it's the same exercise all the time. Is yeah, no, no, the body gets used to it, you know, it's like anything, it's, it's not going to have change anymore, you've constantly got to be changing things up uh, and leaving the body in a way uh, off balance so that uh, you know, you'll, you'll uh, influence change in the body. If you only get on, watch those shows for that 40 minutes and you do the same pace with the same speed and whatever, you're going to get, you know, in the beginning you may get some results, but then it's going to go down from there. Ari, what advice would you give people if they're going to exercise classes at the gym or maybe a local community center? I have the scar that I developed in a biking class at the gym, basically where the wheel went right into my ankle because the pace was just so crazy. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm not such a big fan of big group exercise classes, Um, but... I understand why people have to do it. I mean, a lot of times uh, there's obviously a cost factor. I mean, I understand that people can't afford somebody like me all the time. Um, so the most important thing comes back to the very first thing we talked about. Go get yourself assessed. Find somebody that out there that does uh, a movement screening, whether it be somebody that does a functional movement screen or anatomy in motion or a physical therapist for that matter. Because what you're going to find is, is that you, you know, ultimately you're in charge. You know, it's not up to the instructor um, to, to, you know, to do with your, your responsibility in a class of 30, 40 people. You're in charge, and you can say, no, no, I'm not going to move at that pace. And if the instructor comes and says, come on, you know, get moving, you can choose to walk out of that class right there or never go back, you know. You need to find stuff that works for you and not allow other people to manipulate your situation. But ultimately, you have to know where you're at. You're going to know if you get assessed, that's not good for me, that's good for me. I can push that pattern, but I know that pattern is not good. I'm going to hurt myself. So it's a really a very different perspective on progress, right? Because in a very stereotypical sense, if you're at a class, pro- progress is how well you keep up, right? How well you do based on what the instructor is showing you. And in this case, it's so different. It's a much deeper level that you're talking about. It's a very different way to look at fitness. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, I, come, I, I told you everything that, that I teach, it's because I've gone through, done myself. And I used to teach group fitness classes, you know, 20 years ago when I first started out. And I've already said it, I got pretty messed up. <laughs> and I started to realize, well, if this is happening to me, what's, it happening, what's happening to people in my class? Because I was participating with them. Um, so, uh, you know, there are a lot of group fitness instructors, though you may not hear about it, but I'm in the industry, so I hear about it all the time. They're really messed up physically, you know? They have to teach all those classes every day, multiple times a day, so they can make a living, and, but, and they're paying a price for it. Thank you so much, Ari. We're at our wrap-up. I think that today's episode, with all of the detailed information you shared about your approach, really has the potential to open doors for a lot of people, and I appreciate this so much. Well, thank you. I appreciate it as well. So we'll keep in mind that achieving maximum fitness with minimum wear and tear based on Ari's approach is based on assessing where your body is functionally as a starting point. You can reap the benefits of Ari's fitness methodology firsthand by working with him or one of his trainers at PhilosoFit in East Hampton, New York. Or if you don't have a chance to visit East Hampton and you're outside of the New York City area overseas, Ari and his team offer Skype assessments and training 
through which they develop a customized program you can put into practice wherever in the world you are. You can learn more and contact Ari through his website, philosophit.com, that's P-H-I-L-O-S-O-F-I-T.com. If you have unanswered questions about today's episode, I welcome you to email me at hosthemda at gmail.com and stay connected by liking us on Facebook at Turn the Page Radio and following me on Twitter at Hemda Mizrahi. Until next week, remember to make the grass greener where you are. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, inviting you to turn the page. Thank you for tuning in to our program. Turn the Page can be heard live every Friday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week's show, enjoy your weekend and make one change in your life before then. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 